today's spooky special guest is Grace Mercandani, a middle grade author of spooky supernatural stories. Stay tuned for her and an announcement. This is episode two of uh, Let's Get Mystical. Later on, we'll have our spooky special guest. But for right now, I have a little bit of a announcement. (laughs) So you might have noticed that last week there was no no new episode. And the reason for that is because this announcement is kind of special. And the first episode, uh, Lynn Howard and I had so much fun that we decided she was going to come back as co-host. Hey guys, I'm so excited to be back with you. And uh, you also have a new release, so feel free to mention that. I do. Shift and Focus was released on Valentine's Day. It's book two in the Shifter Council Executioner series. I'm super excited about it. I have to mention, um, in the first episode, I mentioned that Beauty and the Beast show, which unfortunately has been taken off of Netflix. Well, of course, because I haven't seen it yet, of course. But I did discover that you can download, if you have a smart TV or a, a tablet or anything, you can download the CW app for free. So it, Nothing in my house. It Nothing is, in my house is smart. It is available to be watched on the CW app, um, as well as that Walker show that I mentioned to you. We're watching Reacher. That's what we've been watching this week. And weekend. My mom and I have been watching um, on Disney Plus a basically, which is appropriate considering our guest is a middle grade author. Um, but the show is called Secrets of Sulphur Springs, which is basically a middle grade supernatural show. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out. I mean, I watched um, Vampire Diaries, and they were in high school. Might as well check that out too, right? Yeah, I've, I'm enjoying it, and it's fantastic. And then you know, the the actors and actresses are great. The actual the main boy in the show kind of makes me think he could have played a young Dean. Oh, really? Yeah, he's really good. I have to check that out. <laughs> That's on Disney Plus for anybody who didn't That's, hear that part. <laughs> That's what I got playing in the background today on my TV is uh, Supernatural. These are today's haunting headlines. So, Lynn, have you ever wanted to visit the White House? No. No, no I haven't. No. Well, if you ever do, or anybody listening ever does, you better bring some ghost hunting equipment with you. Really? Because the White House is haunted. I've never heard that. I haven't either. I discovered it when I was doing some research for the show. Basically, there are several past presidents, presidents' wives, that are haunting the White House. Well, you know, they say Nancy was, like, Nancy Reagan was really into the occult and all that stuff, so who knows? Well, I will be mentioning Reagan in a minute, but the first one is Abigail Adams. She's She's haunting it or she saw someone? She's haunting it. She's been seen around the East Room carrying loads of laundry, and every time she's seen, the scent of lavender is in the air. Think about this. You're in dead. You're in the afterlife. You're haunting and you're carrying loads of laundry. Well, be, the reason for that is because she was one of the only president's wives that did her own laundry. So it was something Still, she was known for. I'd rather do something more fun than laundry. Yeah. Don't well, we have that in our lives. Me too. But apparently that's a pastime she enjoyed. Lynn was seen scooping kitty litter in her afterlife. I mean, come on. We do enough of that in her real life. <laughs> 
And the second one, which was not surprising, was Ab- Abraham Lincoln. Really? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't I entirely I surprised by that one, but I am surprised. Walk in the halls? Well, I'm surprised by how many times he's been seen. So, the well, I don't know if it was the first um, sighting, but the first one that was mentioned in this article I found was Winston Churchill uh, stayed there for a visit. I don't know if it was, you know, in talks with the president or why he was there, but, and he saw Lincoln sitting on his bed. Can you imagine waking up seeing that? My mom saw the little girl at that house I told you about. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> and then Eleanor Roosevelt saw him when she, cause she used to work in Lincoln's bedroom. It doesn't say what she worked as, but she used to work in the, his bedroom and she saw him. Huh. Calvin Coolidge's wife saw him looking out a window. And the really interesting part is even Ronald Reagan's dog supposedly saw him because he used to stand outside of the Lincoln bedroom and bark. That doesn't surprise me. My dogs react. All dogs and cats react. You ever see them just staring at nothing? It's usually because they're seeing somebody. Yeah. So that was the first two. And then Andrew Jackson's spirit can be heard laughing. And Mary Todd Lincoln often said she could hear him stomping and swearing. So apparently in um, 1829, when he was inaugurated, they had a really raucous party where things like that happened. So that's... I mean, that's, that's my kind of afterlife. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and then also Harry Truman's piano has been heard playing randomly. How is all this not like public? Like That's what I was wondering. This? I was reading the article and I'm like, how is this not more well known? Like there should right. be a book on this or something. You'd think somebody would have, like, spread this all over the internet or something. Yeah. Um, William Henry Harrison has the shortest presidency of 31 days, which that was a a fact I didn't know as well. Um, And apparently, upon his death, he, um, when they cleared out his belongings, something was left behind. And they say that his spirit has been trying to find this thing that was left behind ever since. Um, Staff and... Others have heard footsteps in the attic, which they believe belong to him. Okay. See, you know, if you want to haunt me, that's fine. Just don't keep me awake. Don't misplace. I always tell people, if they don't do like I say and I die, I'm coming back and I'm going to be as just irritating as possible. I'm going to move phone chargers. I'm going to move keys so you can't find them. (laughs) I'll take just the inn and put it somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like something you would do. Yeah. And then lastly, James Madison's wife spends her afterlife in the garden. And it was apparently Woodrow Wilson tried to move the garden when he was president. And the staff said not happening because they kept seeing the ghost. Oh, wow. So they abandoned the plan to move it. Again, and that's okay. But to carry laundry around, like, I'll party. I'll hang out in the garden. I don't want to do laundry in my afterlife. (laughs) Well, apparently she does. <laughs> Man. It's time for paranormal pop culture. I found an article that says 10 best supernatural TV shows to binge. And I think we both have some on this list. I was going to say, I probably watched them all already. So number 10 was Teen Wolf. 
I have not. Yeah, me too. I have not seen the show because I'm a little. <laughs> the Michael J. Fox was in the original movie, so I'm yeah, kind of like, say that's your crush, don't so. ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly, number nine was Supernatural. I thought it would be higher on the list. No kidding, as much of a cult following as they have. Yeah, yeah. Um, number eight was Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is one thing I love. And my oh my god, you have to. And my <laughs> my teenage heart is getting nostalgic because um, Melissa Joan Hart, that was in Sabrina, now has a podcast. And so in her podcast, they talk about things like Sabrina or you know other older shows and stuff like that. It's really fun to listen to. This show was out, the original show was out when I was like in high school or something. Yeah, I think I was a tween. <laughs> Let's not rub in. But I think, I think I watched it on repeats too because I didn't have cable as a kid. So I don't think I got to see it when it was originally we, on. We had it and back and forth when I was growing up. Yeah. Number seven, Vampire Diaries. Loved it. And I want to mention that there is one thing about Vampire Diaries that I do like, and that's Klaus. Oh, I love Klaus. He's such a bad guy with a good heart. Yeah, and he was like the only thing good about the spinoff show, too. But I just cannot get into it. I couldn't get into the original. I tried. I couldn't do it. No. Klaus is the only redeeming factor of both of those shows for me. Uh, number six is your favorite, Walking Dead. Yes. Which, did you know that they had several Emmys for just the makeup? Yes. That I found that very well, interesting. Like, of course I knew that. Yeah, this is part two of the final season is starting uh, in four days, Sunday. Yeah, I just and saw the commercial for three, it. Yeah, part three is the end. That's it, the last season. And I will say it does need to end um, because we lost a lot of our original characters and I don't even know the names of a lot of the new ones. Did you watch any Did you watch any of the spinoffs? I watched the first couple episodes of Fear the Walking Dead and I guess because I'm a writer, the info dump at the beginning, mm. I was like, uh, uh, and I was told I need to go back and finish because once you get past the first few episodes, because I felt like it was like, here's this person and this is what they're going to do right here. Let me, let me get to know the world. Like I did. Yeah. Rick. yeah. And I thought instead of fear of the walking dead, it should have been called the waking dead because it was prequel to the walking dead. Gotcha. But, you know, I didn't name it, so whatever. Wasn't there? No, I didn't watch the Beyond Whatever because that's like kids. Wasn't there another spinoff, something like The White Walking Dead or something like that? I don't know. Hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm a purist. I heard something about that on one of my podcasts, but I didn't go into depth with it because it's I'm The Walking Dead. I'm a Walking Dead girl. <laughs> uh, number five, True Blood, which. Yes, boom. Yeah, until the, until like the last season or like the last two seasons or the last season, then it kind of. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. liked Vampire or True Blood even less than Vampire Diaries, believe it or not. Oh my god, do you not like vampires? What's wrong with you? No, I do, but I think it was the acting in True Blood, especially in the beginning. Well, it was if just you watch, if you read the books, the books are like saccharine sweet. They're like give you a toothache mm. compared to the rawr, the raunchiness and the. I, I honestly think the vampires were the better part of True Blood. I think the main girl was my problem. Sookie. Yeah. That's how she was in the books. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that was my biggest problem with that one. Yeah. Um, number four is one I don't think either of us have seen, Stranger Things. Of course I've seen that. You have seen that. Okay, I have Whoa, not. Wow, yeah, I'm waiting for the next season. I'm, I might 
give it a shot later down the line when it's not so it may not be as nostalgic for you because that I grew up in that time period. I was a kid in the eighties. Yeah. So like, and it's, you know, a lot of people think eighties were like bright colors. And, no, it wasn't. It was brown. It was brown and orange. Well, I do like, like had, I do like the fact that it's children. So I may, yeah. I may look at it later it's, when it's not so new. Well, and it could be considered violent, I guess, but it's not, it's not like gory or anything like that. Like true blood, you know, and, and walking dead is a lot of violence and gore. But I loved it. I thought it was such smart writing, such great acting. And I believe this next season is it because the kids are growing up. Yeah. Well, they might, well, they might be able to do like the next one on the list, American Horror Story, where they may be able to continue it with different storylines. Never seen it. Neither have I. Never seen it. And honestly, the few commercials even I've seen for it make me not want to see it because it just looks too much. I tried two episodes when it first came out and it didn't hook me. And my best friend and I have, like, very similar tastes in movies and TV shows. She's like, oh, I can't believe you need to go back and watch it. I'll put it on the list with everything else that everybody else is telling me to watch, you know. Maybe put it on, like, when you do a housework or something. That way, if you're not into it, at least you're still She's listening to it. Yeah, right? I mean, you might find an episode that you do enjoy, and then maybe then you'll here's, get hooked. Well, here's the issue with that. <laughs> Most people have, like, ten TVs in their house. We have two. One is in my office, my cave, and the other one is in the basement because I married a vampire and he doesn't like sunlight. So our living room is, we have a fully finished basement, so it's in the basement now. So I can't, um, I usually will put on a podcast on my phone. And yeah. even if like, if I'm going through the whole house, I connect it to the Bluetooth and I have it on my speakers so I can hear it through the Right. House. But yeah, I can't do that with TV. We had one in the living room upstairs when the kids were young. The you kids could were if you got a smart TV. Just saying. I don't have a smart they're they're fantastic i never thought it would be something i would want but the stuff you can do with it is fantastic i mean i can watch youtube on it well when we bought our big tv downstairs smart tvs were just coming out yeah it wasn't a big thing yet it now has two lines down the middle so next tv we get is probably gonna be i wish i had one up here because then i can connect to netflix and prime up here from my basement but i can't right so um, so we said more American Horror Story was number three. Number two was X-Files. That's, that's old school, yeah. Yeah, and actually didn't know that it was not a success right away. It took a while no, for it, it to be on. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I actually went back to it when I, you know, as it was going on. And then they had that reboot. That was okay. Like, we were so excited because my husband and I both, he was a lot older than me, but yeah, it was okay. I think COVID kind of messed with that too because, like, yeah. I barely heard anything about it. So oh, it's screwed up everything. Yeah. And number one, not surprisingly, was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Movie or TV show? Uh TV show. Never watched a single episode of the TV show. It's it's good. Well, all except the last season is good. So I don't want to give too many spoilers, but the last season they kind of they introduced things just out of nowhere. That's the so way true blood was. It, it was it was too much of a jolt for me to get into. So I the last season I basically don't rewatch anymore. But the rest of it I love. But I, I see watching the, the movie and then hearing about the TV show, I'm like, well, that's way better. Kind of like Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf, the movie, was kind of a comedy almost. Yeah. You know, like coming to, coming to you know, whatever, coming of age, whereas the TV show is more serious and darker. And yeah, like, it's more yeah. of a drama. Yeah. I mean, there's like, like you know, there's like romances and whatnot in it, but it's more of a drama for sure. Right. Um, What I didn't know about Buffy the Vampire Slayer is... The popularity of the show was actually the reason that Doctor Who was revived. Really? Yeah. So, thank you, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because I love Doctor Who. 
never seen Doctor Who? Um, I'm not sure if you'd like it or not, simply because it's more science-y than anything. I mean, it has I, supernatural elements. Of, well, with the exception of sitcoms, like Big Bang Theory, things like that, you know, ha ha ha, like it's a laugh. I like action. And I like, you know, like The Witcher. I love The Witcher because there's so much action and, and fighting and monsters and stuff. I, if I'm going to sit down and watch something, you got to catch me. You got to catch my attention. Because for me to sit down and sit still, Doctor yeah. Who definitely has action because, um, you know, he's most of the time he's trying to save somebody. So there's definitely action. It's the thing is, is that there it doesn't start with action. Like you got to get through like the first five minutes first to, you know, get the idea of the episode. We just watched a movie with Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman and we almost turned it off. But we're like, let's give it a shot. And it was like, oh, no, that person got killed. I'm so upset. Like there was no emotion, but they were doing that on purpose. And then when that twist came, I'm glad we finished watching it now. But for the most part, I like action, comedy, horror. That's like, that's my, my wheelhouse. Yeah. That's where I stay. So what it, it don't matter if the horror is monsters or people, as long as there's action. Again, you know, I don't like to sit still. I need to be doing something. I need to be writing or researching or something. So what was your show before Walking Dead? I don't think I had one. No. You know, things, things have, there was a, oh, I can't think of the name. There's only two seasons of one of them. Revolution, you remember that? I was yep. obsessed with that one. And then it took a weird turn and then it canceled. There was this with uh, Matt Dillon. It was a TV special and it was on regular TV. And then I think it was Channel 5. They, they, they were trying to debate the, the prices and they just turned off Channel 5. Oh yeah, so I remember that. I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, I don't, I don't tend to, sit down much to watch tv oh i you love know, tv like last night i didn't go downstairs till about 8 30 and i was exhausted from work and that was to watch two episodes of reacher when i went to bed i work you know you know how i do yeah y'all if you want to be a writer you can't just sit around and hope it happens get it right get it right yeah i am way behind <laughs> you know I, like if i work later in the day i get up early in the morning and i write until i leave and then depending on what time i get home I write before I go to bed. Uh, well, my, my plan was 600 words a day to get done by April, but I'm like a week and a half behind now. So catch up. You have a really good day. Well, I figure what I'll do is I'll, I'll stay on the 600 words a day trajectory, but then if I have a better day, then that makes up for the days I miss. Mm -hmm. So, but it's just the last couple of weeks have just been nuts. So. All right, let so us know, let us know, guys, if you like this dynamic of the two of us together, because yeah, this isn't my show. This is Genevieve's show, and if you don't like me, no, you're stuck me. here. So whether the listeners like you or not, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> Gotta keep them interested. Next show, I'm gonna have a list of some paracons for you. Because the one I'm going to, the only one I'm playing for this year is in September, and that's Silcon in Central Illinois. It's Mattoon, Illinois. But there's a whole bunch coming up that they're finally reviving all these shows. Yes, and we're going to have a guest on on March 4th. Um, well, the episode will be the 6th. Well, wait a minute. What's the calendar? I think her, I think her uh, interview is actually on a Friday. So Is it Becky? So, yes, it is. So, she, her episode will go live on March 11th. Yay! So, and we'll be talking about that, so. Yeah, she's the one that puts on the show. She is amazing, and she does metaphysical things and healing and all kinds of stuff. She's super cool, girl. You like her a lot. 
Good, good. I'm glad. Well, I know that you're not going to be around for our interview, so I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> All right. Bye, y'all. I'll see you next time. Please welcome our spooky special guest. <laughs> Grace is the author of uh, Mitzi Clark and the Keepers of Shut. Um, it was a breakout middle grade paranormal book. Uh, climbed the Amazon charts pretty quickly. <laughs> um, was it the first 24 or 48 hours that it was climbing the charts? Yes, it actually, it went right to number one in quite a few different new release categories um, uh, because of, I think, all of the, the pre-order marketing that I did for it. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I couldn't remember if it was the first day or the first couple of days. I must feel like it was pretty instant. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Um, so just uh, to get started, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and um, why you decided to write Paranormal? Um, okay, so I live uh, in the Finger Lakes region of New York with my family, my husband and my three children. They're 14, 12, and 4. I decided to get into the paranormal mid-grade genre um, pretty much because I've always been kind of fascinated with everything supernatural and paranormal and I've always loved telling a good story whether it's in person or you know on the page um, so I just had some downtime during the whole COVID fun fest and decided that would be the best time to uh, start this new chapter in my life so to speak well that's great and your books are fantastic thank you so much and we will talk about your upcoming one in a little bit um, but I want to start with your routine as a writer so <laughs> is there a specific time of day that you do your best writing? So it's a little tricky because having three kids, my schedule is pretty uh, complicated. I also have other things, of course, that I do like everybody else. Um, I do have a half an hour window in the morning that I put the kids on the bus or I take them to school. And then I have a half an hour before my little one gets up. Um, and that's usually when I get out a good five or six hundred words um, not every day but almost every day um, and then I sometimes will have a couple of times during the week where I'll just set myself an hour on my timer and I say I'm just going to sit down and write for this hour no matter what so it's really just whenever I can fit it in there or if I'm just feeling particularly um, motivated to get some words down is, is kind of when I just make it happen. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm going to be doing a video um, writing like Jane Austen. And that was one of her big things is she just kind of wrote whenever inspiration struck. Yeah, I mean, you can sit down and stare at a blank page for a half an hour um, trying to come up with the most perfect words to put on the page. Or you can just kind of get started with the tiniest idea. And I find for myself that it often just starts flowing when you kind of force it a little, um, it kind of like opens up the door, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and you know, every writer is different. So some have to be, you know, have a structured schedule and some just can just do it whenever it strikes. I am definitely not very structured. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really just a, a blessing to have little pockets of time to sit down and, and let it flow. And now are there any tools you use that for your writing that you feel you absolutely need? 
Well, you know, I think the the biggest tool that comes in handy for me is just the good old internet. Um, you know, sometimes I'll need a name idea or a, a fact check and I'll just pop it in my Google and make sure that I'm not coming out of left field or, um, you know, uh, get some input from an outside perspective and also uh, family and friends, um, have been helpful just bouncing ideas off of them and um even like researching particular regions of the country or if i need um to describe a vehicle i might ask a friend who works with cars that kind of thing so just i guess knowing knowing who to talk to and when has, has been an invaluable resource for me so um, you mentioned research, so I'm going to skip around a little bit. Um, sure. Was, was there any specific research or specific like references that you had to use for your books, being that they were paranormal? You know, not really. The only thing that I really referenced was maybe my binge watching of the show Supernatural <laughs> and, and, you know, different influences um, of, that I've had throughout the years. Like, I love the show Paranormal Caught on Camera. Um, and just drawing from from those, I think, has has really been the only reference points I've used, uh, most of which because I've, I really want to be careful to make sure that I have a fresh perspective. And, you know, my ideas aren't the same ideas that every supernatural story has had. So to keep it interesting, I, I think I've used the references of what I've already seen, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. And and. It's very difficult to do that since there's so many supernatural paranormal things out there, but I definitely think that you pulled it off. Oh, I appreciate that. That's definitely like authenticity and creativity is, is my number one priority when I'm trying to tell my story because it is so easy to think you have an original idea and then you find out later that 50 people already wrote about it from that perspective and you have to kind of go, okay, let, how can I make this different and unique? How can I make this interesting to people that have already been involved in the genre for so long? Like what's a, what's a fresh way to put a spin on a vampire, you know? So right, right. that was my whole focus. Right. And I won't give any spoilers, but I definitely enjoyed your vampires in book two. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so the only other thing about your routine that I was wondering is it, this might vary based on, cause you have kids and everything, but how long would you say it takes you to write a book? Well, that's, that's absolutely funny um, that you say it may vary because I have kids, because I think that the biggest uh, variable is definitely um, me, because I would put uh, a block on my own self more than anything. And let me, let me explain that. Like the, the first book that I wrote, the Mitzi Clark and the Keepers of Shut, um, took me almost two full years because I put it out there to a friend and I put it out there to a family member who's an editor. And when I finished it after about a year, um, and wasn't really prepared to hear the constructive criticism. I thought I was, but I wasn't. Um, and I just kind of was bored with it with bored with like changing it and fine tuning it. So I just kind of set it aside for almost a full year. And then one day, I don't even know what inspired me to do so, but I just said, okay, it's time to take a look at it. It's time to revisit these changes and my character development and see if I could fix some of the continuity issues that I had. And 
it was like a light switch had flipped because everything just made sense. And I was able to make the changes and read it with a fresh pair of eyes and um, kind of rewrite the things that needed to be, to be written again and was really happy with what came out of that. But I think I needed that time off to just kind of distance myself from it being my first book. Um, so the first book technically took me almost two full years, whereas um, the second book, Mitzi Clark and the Covenant Cube, which will be releasing, is a totally different story because I joined NaNoWriMo, um, National Novel Writers Month, um, in November of last year and decided I was going to finish the whole book in one month. And it didn't quite work out the way I wanted because we all ended up with COVID. Um, God love it. And I got about three quarters of the way through and was able to finish it. Um, within a couple of months. So my second book took me, you know, less than three months. <laughs> wow. That's, that's impressive. I hope everybody is feeling better. We're all great now. That's Absolutely. That's we were good. the lucky ones. We didn't get off too awful bad. So, so <clears throat> I like to, <clears throat> excuse me, delve a little bit in with my guests about them as an author and get a little personal. Um, so what would you say is your most interesting writing quirk? Hmm. So I guess probably my most interesting writing quirk that's really annoying to me is that I have to reread a lot before I start writing again. So if, like today, this morning when I sat down to read, I suppose a lot of writers would read a couple of paragraphs leading up to where they need to start. But I, a lot of times, have to read two or three chapters just to settle myself back into the story. Um, and, and that's pretty time consuming, but it's necessary for me to kind of like see that movie in my mind as I'm writing. I, I really have to like turn off all of the world outside of me. And the only way I could do that is to get lost back into my own story, which requires me some time to get into. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, especially if you're stepping away from it for, you know, days at a time, you may not completely remember what happened before. I think it helps me from having continuity errors too. You know, like if, if I say she lit a fire for the first time because I forgot that she already lit one a chapter ago. Um, so I hope that it leads to less editing later. That's probably a good practice for all of us to get into, honestly. <laughs> I also like to have something hot to drink near me, which usually ends up and cold before I remember it's there, but <laughs> it's part of the routine of just settling down in front of my laptop. I have, you know, it's like laptop, check, notebook, check, hot drink, check. So it's, it's just definitely part of my quirky process. So what's your drink of choice? So it's a trifecta, really. Um, I'm either in a decaf with cream and sugar kind of mood. I'm in a chai tea steaming with spices kind of mood, or I do a lot of golden milk with the turmeric and cinnamon and honey, and it's just absolute heavenly deliciousness. Sounds good. Um, so was Mitzi Clark um, and the Keepers of Shut, was that the first book you ever wrote? It was the first book I ever finished. <laughs> I've been writing books since I was 10, or should I say I've been writing at least a third of a book since I was 10. It's just always been a, a draw. 
of um, creativity for me to, to get the words on the page, but I, I procrastinate and I, I've always dropped the ball. So it was really important for me to finish this one. And do you still have all those started stories? I imagine they're all somewhere, <laughs> but I could probably only locate four or five of them. <laughs> Uh, probably would be a little bit scary to go back and read them, honestly. I imagine it would be. <laughs> Although some of the plots are good enough that I might, uh, revisit them again one day. You never know. Yeah. Interesting. I'll be curious to see if that happens. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you mentioned Supernatural, the show, but is there other places where you get your ideas or your information for your books? Well, this might sound really cliche, but I guess really just life. I consider life to be such a mystery. And uh, and there's just so much that we don't understand that it just draws me to ask questions and questions kind of stir in my mind. And there's always some kind of idea and storyline going with with the craziness of life. Yes, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And it seems that as scary and gory as it can get sometimes, I mean, not so much with your books because they're middle grade, um, to write and read and watch Supernatural, it's a nice release from the real life. Absolutely. It, and it's it's a chance to kind of step into a fantasy. Right. You know, like almost put yourself or your characters in these situations that you think would be be fun and terrifying and interesting and and it just, it, it gives a little bit of excitement to the everyday. And I feel being 34 um, and reading your middle grade books, I felt very connected to the characters, even though they were teenagers. Um, so I feel like you found, definitely found a way to bring everyone into that adventure, not just, you know, like the target audience. Well, that means a lot to me because I think having um, two boys that are 12 and 14, I've realized that a lot of times we're very dismissive as adults that, that these kids have, you know, real problems in real lives and everything is so big to them and so real to them and everything that's happening to them is very much mature and grown up in their mind. So I wanted to create characters that, that felt authentic to the age because I feel like a lot of times mid-grade particularly tries to have a more of a grown-up voice but still ends up sounding immature to the point of it not seeming realistic to the readers. And I, and I think that my goal with the voice of my book was to to treat the reader like they were as mature as my boys are because it's important for them to feel that it's realistic. Yes. Many authors underestimate children. I have um, read in my editing and just in my personal life, middle grade or even YA books that it's, you have to sit the author down and tell them you're basically talking down to your target audience here. That's not what you want. I think that's a problem in, um, parenting in general, maybe. Um, I think about like bullying situations and, you know, parents are told that their kids are, are being bullies and they're shocked by it because I think there is a disconnect between parents and their, and their kids in, in middle school, particularly um, because it's almost like these, at that age, they're living two separate lives. 
they're the the children at home and they're like grown-ups in school so if I could bridge the gap a little bit for the readers to to feel like they can kind of be a little bit of a grown-up while they're reading a book that has content that's safe for their age group then I've won yes yes I agree with that um so is there anything surprising you learned while you were creating your books whether that be the story the or the writing in general. The surprising thing I learned is that the easy part is, is writing the book. You know, I, I had this, this image that, you know, once it was on the page, the rest is easy. They're just going to sell themselves. Everybody's going to know about it and see about see it and love it. And it's just going to be this success because I want it to be. And uh, that's not how it works at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the surprise in, in writing it, I guess just the fact that I could do it and that I did do it and I finished it was probably the biggest surprise. But all, and it also just completely sparked this new obsessive passion in me to continue to write that I didn't think would become so intense. It, it's, it's not even a want anymore. It's an absolute need. I, I don't, I don't want to write anymore. I need to write. <laughs> I think a lot of authors kind of feel that way before they publish their first book that, you know, it's just going to happen and there's not work involved. And because we don't really ever see like the background of publishing. No. And you don't realize when you're writing that so many people are writers. It feels before you're a writer, it feels like writers are part of this exclusive club of talented, creative people that, very few people are allowed into when it's quite the opposite. There's so many people that are out there writing and finishing their books and you don't really realize it until you're in that world. Kind of like when you buy a new car, you you know, you you go out and you buy a new car because you think it's just beautiful and nobody else has bought this. And the minute you're driving home from the dealership, you see 50 of them. And I, I feel like it's the same type of thing. I stepped into the world of writing feeling like I would be not in a celebrity status by any means, but just unique. And you step into a world of so many people that 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 feeling quickly goes away. You you feel a lot less special once you realize just how many people are are good at what they do and, and are sitting and writing and being successful authors. Well, you certainly should feel special because definitely think your books stand out. Oh, I really appreciate that. I I can't stand not being um, at the very top of what I do. So that's something personal that I'm working at, but it also keeps me, me driven to keep pushing to be known and successful, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely. And that's, you know, it's something we always should strive toward, even if, writing isn't necessarily something you want to do as a career. You should still strive to be your best. Sure. Otherwise it's always the time, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so in keeping with that tone a little bit, um, is, what do you want to be remembered for with your books? I think that the biggest thing for me is that it brought joy. Like as, as stupid as that sounds, like I love to entertain others. My, my my muse has always been seeing somebody else's reaction there's it's like giving somebody a christmas gift that you shopped really really a long time to find the perfect gift and when when they open it that that feeling that you get 
this gratitude that you could give them the emotion of joy or um, surprise or whatever the, the positive emotion is. For, for me as a writer, if I want somebody to think about the Mitzi Clark series, I want them to just think that even if it was just for half an hour, they were able to escape and enjoy and be entertained. Yeah. And, and again, I definitely think you accomplished that. In fact, you sort of have inspired me to maybe try writing a middle grade book. I love it. I love it. It's a little I, terrifying, I but started writing too. I, I love that. So I think you should do it. <laughs> well, thank you. And if I do, you'll definitely be able to read it. That's great. Except I, I you can't hire me to be your editor. We both know <laughs> that that's not going to work. Just a beta reader. How about that? Then you won't have to worry about editing. Just tell me if the story's good or not. You got it. I'll be honest. <laughs> okay. So specifically about your um, first book, since your second one hasn't come out yet. Sure. Um, you kind of touched on this a little, but why did you decide to write middle grade? Um, I think I really just wanted to use writing middle grade as an opportunity to hone my writing skills um, before trying to tackle like an 80,000 word romance novel, say. I, I wanted to kind of set myself a goal that I felt would be attainable and they are in the, you know, 28 to 40,000, correct me if I'm wrong, word count range. Um, so I thought that if I had a, a word count goal to strive for, I'd be more likely to finish telling a mid-grade story than I would be um, something larger. Um, and I felt like I had some of that knowledge base because of my experience with my boys to kind of be a authentic voice for that age group as well. It's interesting that you say that you wanted to um... – start with middle grade because it seemed sort of easier because for me, and I don't know if this is because my background is not in middle grade, but for me, the idea of a middle grade is far more terrifying than anything else. Well, and, and I think if I didn't have the relationship with my sons that I do, I would probably feel the same way. Mm -hmm. But because I'm so used to kind of having conversations on their level, on a regular daily basis, it makes me comfortable in a room full of children of that age group. So I feel like I have that ability to connect with that age group because of it. That makes sense. Um, have they read the book? Um, my 12 year old has read it. Um, and he wrote me little synopsis of each chapter. It was really, really cute. Mm -hmm. Um, and my 14 year old, listened to it um when i finished the first draft i was reading out loud to my whole family chapter by chapter um when i first finished it it's it's interesting um a lot of the things that you've been mentioning about uh how you write and like reading out loud to your family is very close to like i said jane austen's routine so it's interesting that that's kind of a, i mean she didn't write middle grade but yet it seems like your routine is very similar to hers well, that's a giant compliment because I had no idea. Yeah, I've done a lot of research. <laughs> I just like to her. read out loud to make sure that the the dialogue in the books, especially, just don't sound forced because that's tricky, you yes. know, to to make somebody else's voice sound not robotic or just 
cliche or over the top. So reading it out loud helps kind of, uh, it, it just makes you uh, more aware that it's flowing or not flowing. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize just how different something is on paper versus saying it out loud. Because like you can sure. even say it to yourself out loud and that's still going to be different than saying it to somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they help they, when you have people listening to you, even, or if you're just saying it out loud to yourself, it's amazing the little things that you catch, like you dropped a word or um, you, you totally screwed up on all of your punctuation or you, you just catch it when you're reading it out loud because when a lot of times when you're reading something back in your head, you're reading it way too fast and, and it's really easy to miss those little things. Yes, definitely. Um, so when you were working on the first draft of the story, did the plot come first or did the characters come to you first? Definitely, definitely, definitely the plot. Um, the plot came pretty easily. It, it was just something that just kind of showed up in my mind one day and, and the story just kind of took twists and turns and I had the whole plot down in probably a matter of minutes and the characters took me a little bit longer because, um, I wanted there to be a complexity of character without, um, getting too deep and too involved. And there are pieces of myself and some of each of the characters, um, and I found the development of each character is probably the hardest part of writing the story for me. Interesting. It's, it's, uh, lots of times authors say that the characters are the easy part. So that's interesting to hear that. It doesn't surprise me. I, I think I think differently than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I, I have that a unique personality type that uh, probably goes the, the long way around. So if the characters... <laughs> Sorry. I think it's easier to do a storyline justice than it is to do a character justice. You know, a plot has a beginning, a middle, an end, maybe a twist or two thrown in. But a person has such complexity that I just wanted to create a realistic character and to to be able to take that complexity and put it into words is it's challenging to me. So hopefully I hopefully I brought their spirits to life. I believe you did. Um, so you, you kind of segue into the question I was about to ask. Um, do you feel that there's a part of the book that was harder than the rest? Like you said, beginning, middle, and end. Do you feel one of those was more difficult? Uh, I think probably the beginning is the hardest part. Just because you're introducing these people and... When you're reading, a first impression is still a first impression, right? So you want to tell enough about the character to keep your reader interested without giving away so much that there's no character arc whatsoever. And so I, I found that the start of the development of these characters was probably the most difficult. And did you... I mean, because the second book was a continuation. So did you feel that way about the second book as well? Or was there a different part of that? Not that at was... all. It's funny. The second book, I feel like I know these kids now. And the characters came so much easier. Their nuances came in. Their little quirks and personality traits showed themselves to me as the plot unfolded. So it was definitely easier to write those characters for the second book, for sure. 
And so was the beginning of the second book still the most difficult or was it more like the end? It's definitely the end, which is funny because um, I, I haven't really thought about that. But to know where somebody is going is a lot trickier than to, to kind of know where they've been. And you're writing and you have this ending in mind, but in my creative process, things happen that I, I, I just weren't expecting to happen. And all of a sudden the ending is going to change from what I originally thought it was. And it's so much better. Um, but then you second guess and you go back and you say, but what if my first ending's better? You know, should I leave it? Should I put it in? So I, I feel like the ending was definitely trickier on the second book because so much more happened than I thought it would. Well, that's where editors come in handy. <laughs> Thank God for editors. I need to get a t-shirt that says that because I, I mean it. <laughs> I would like that t-shirt too. I'll order us a pair. Okay. So a lot of times in middle grade and even young adult, um, the family is in the story, but not quite so involved in the plot. But yet in your books, you, you really involve the parents. What made you decide to do that? I think it goes back to um, how I feel about authenticity. I, I think that in a lot of mid-grade stories, there there's some really brilliant ones, but there are no parents. There are no really adults as, as characters in the, the story and in the main plot. And, and I feel like there's, there's maybe a disconnect there because in reality, um, you know, parents are involved so much in your life as a young person, um, or at least an adult, a caring adult is generally, um, with you on pretty much every step of the way. Uh, and, I thought that it would be important to represent that, that it's okay that you can't tackle these huge obstacles and difficulties in life without getting help from others, because it's more realistic for a young person to kind of have that influence in their life. So, so for me, it's, it's really just a nod toward authenticity you can escape into a world of a book and still have a lot of things in it seem natural and authentic. And having the parents present to me was a way to do that. Interesting. I definitely felt that um, the parents were involved, but yet you still had the bulk of the plot focused on the children, which is important. Um, so I, I kind of really liked the way you integrated them throughout, not just like in your face kind of thing. Well, I appreciate that. And I, and I think that that would be true if you asked my, my two children um, how much of their lives was I a part of. I, I would hope that their answer would be that they knew that I was there when they needed me or at some key plot points in their life, but that generally they're at an age where they make their own decisions, do their own things, have their own freedoms. And I think that that is my, my uh, target market. Is a group where they're kind of they're in between being uh, full on freedom adults and uh, being hovered over by their parents all the time. So, so that's kind of the spin that I, I wanted to take with the parents' involvement. And I think that as the the books progress, there's a little bit less and less parent involvement showing the maturity and the growing up of these kids. 
Yes, that, that makes sense. Um, so in keeping with that a little bit, do you have a plan for how many books in this series you plan to write? I was thinking about this just today in the car, um, running errands. I've always had three books in my mind um, where the plots are already determined. I'm ready to roll. If I could type faster, they'd all be done by now. But I, I have a feeling that as I'm writing the third one, a fourth or a fifth one might pop through too. So the goal is three, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it kept going. It's hard to let go of characters in a series. It really is because you just, you want to know what happens next. It's, it's natural. Like even watching a great movie, it's like you, you, you just want a sequel and you know, there's never going to be one, but <laughs> you just want to know what happens five years from now. Yeah. So. And it doesn't matter how well it's tied up or anything. You just want more. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that would be an excellent problem to have if my readership decided that they want more. Well, then I'll give them more. So. Hey, I, I, I'll tell you, it, the, where, where you're going with it right now, I could probably read like 15 of them. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I just, I wish I could write faster. <laughs> well, we all, all have our own times, but hey, you wrote a book in a couple of months, so. I will take that. I will take that. Absolutely. <laughs> And now I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I didn't prepare you for this question. But do okay. you think you'll ever write a prequel about the Keepers of Shuck? Huh. Well, I may now. That's a <laughs> fascinating uh, idea there. I just find it very interesting. And I think a story outside of um, Mitzi and her, her friends maybe kind of interesting. I mean, even if it's like even just a short story, I think it would be pretty interesting for readers. Oh, that's an excellent idea. You've got my head spinning. <laughs> it's definitely going to be in my shower thoughts over the next few days, because that's where I get a lot of my brainstorming done. So make sure you have your plotting notebook nearby. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's definitely a food for thought. I think it could be an interesting thing to kind of even take a, a different character's perspective, like maybe her father as a young boy. So now you've got me thinking, and now I I might just have to run with this. And see, look, you came up with that in, what, two minutes about her father? And, and actually, that sounds very interesting to me because there isn't a lot in the story about how he started with the society or whatever you want to call it. of the whole thing now, exactly. Yeah, so, so maybe you might want to think about huge... that catalyst event that uh brings him into a leadership position that might need to get written about <laughs> you might want to put that question out to your readers who knows that's a good one instagram look out here it comes <laughs> okay do you want to tell the people about what's coming up for you and where they can find you sure absolutely i am right now in the process of finalizing book two mitzi clark and the covenant cube which is a continuation of the fantastic tale of Mitzi Clark and her friends. And um, that is due to hit live on Amazon March 1st. So pretty much any minute now, right? Um, Pre-order is on for the ebook right now. So you can get on there and pre-order that book. Or if you want to get that paper book copy, it will be available um, March 1st. And it will also be available online at Barnes and Noble, uh, Walmart, and where pretty much where any um, books are sold for major retailers online. And if you uh, would like an autographed copy, you can feel free to contact um, me through my Facebook page. It's Grace Merchandani author page. 
and uh, shoot me over a message and then you can Venmo me and I will uh, send you an autographed copy of either book. So that's what's going on now. And I'm taking a break from writing the Mitzi stories and I'm working on my first romance novel, which is for us grownups, mostly us grown-up girls. I'm not going to tell you much about that other than I'm hoping to have it all set and finished by mid-August. Are you going to write that under a pen name or just your regular name? I haven't decided yet. I've been kind of floating around the idea of a pen name um, just to keep the marketing separate for the two different genres. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I do, I'm in love with the name Persephone. So that may just be it, but we will find out. Okay. And all of your links will be included in the show notes for the episode. So anybody can find you there. Awesome. Okay. One last thing. Um, Since this is a supernatural show, I have to ask you, have you ever had any supernatural or paranormal encounters? Yes, um, I have. There's been a few of them. Um, it's hard to uh, figure out which one to, to tell you about, but I think I will just kind of summarize uh, the fact that I grew up in what I consider to be kind of a haunted community. I I feel like the uh, little town of Waterloo, New York has um, some kind of spiritual kind of strangeness going on. Um, I've talked to several different people in the town that have had different haunting experiences and supernatural experiences. Um, One thing I can say is in this one place that I lived in, um, I had a cousin who was running through the back wall, um, the backyard and he was running and just suddenly hit what was an invisible wall and he fell over backwards and he was scared to come over after that. Um, so that was just one of the many kind of things that happened when we lived in that community. And I travel through it quite often now and I, I still get this really dark sense of something strange going on whenever I'm in that town. So That's very interesting. When we get off of here, you might have to tell me the name of that place because I'm over in Waterloo quite a bit when I go shopping and things and I would want to visit it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the whole town has such deep um, Native American roots and I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a lot of rumor that that there's a lot of um, burial grounds that are you know, underneath a lot of the, the different buildings in the area. Um, but I've, I've had several different apartments growing up in that town, and each of those residents had something just off about them. So um, if, if I could say I've had some supernatural experiences, that would definitely be it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I really believe that we're all just energy, and, uh, and it doesn't just stop when we die. And you can't take a step on a on a Civil War battlefield and and not believe that there's still energy there. It's it, you can't you can't look at life and and not wonder if there's just uh, so much more than we can see. So yeah, it's definitely all over. And it I sometimes wish that everybody was more sensitive to it because. Yes, there are some times when it's a little freaky deaky, but then there are some times where it's beautiful. Yeah, that connection that you feel with, you know, spirits or whatever it is that might be around is fantastic. It's special and definitely 
something I think everybody should experience at least once, maybe not, you know, in a scary way. Um, sure. But... You know, I think a lot of people have the impression that you can't believe in God and the supernatural at the same time. And, and that's unfortunate because I think it's because I believe in God that I believe in the supernatural because it's just God is so much bigger than anything that we can comprehend that uh, the supernatural can kind of fall right into that same vein, right? Yeah, oh, that's true. So, yeah, I would like to see a lot more people be open to the experience of what's beyond what we see and what's beyond what we understand. Well, if they are going to start being open to it, they can listen to this podcast because we have plenty more guests and things coming up. So I hope everybody will listen. And I very much thank you for joining me. It's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. I was very privileged to have you on the show. Um, and. I will say that if anybody would like a free copy of Grace's second book when it comes out, they can join my Patreon, and it's one of the benefits of this podcast. Wonderful. That, and obviously, that's an ebook. Um, yeah, that's so wonderful. So that link will also be in the show notes. Wonderful. All right. Thanks for joining me, Grace. Yeah, thanks for having me. And really happy writing. Thank you for listening to Let's Get Mystical. This podcast was hosted by Genevieve Scholl and Lynn Howard and produced by Genevieve Scholl. If you'd like to contact the hostesses, you can do so by emailing letsgetmysticalpodcast at gmail.com.